Hello, and welcome to the AAMFT podcast. Your all-access pass to the latest news developments and thought leaders in the world of systemic therapy. We strive to relate, educate, and innovate one episode at a time. I'm your host, Dr. Eli Karam, and we're brought to you by the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy. Our podcast explores topics that relationship-based therapists care about. In addition to featuring unique conversations and interviews with established experts, our show provides information and education on direct practice and emerging trends in the MFT profession. For more information, please visit us at aamft.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Let's play word association, hierarchy, boundaries, enmeshed disengaged, enactment. Even those new to family therapy know I'm talking about one approach, that is structural family therapy developed by Salvador Mnuchin. The focus on this approach is achieving a healthy hierarchical family organization where there are different subsystems with limits and boundaries. According to this model, difficulties expressed by the family are a reflection of a structural imbalance, a dysfunctional hierarchy within the family system, often characterized by difficulties in establishing boundaries between the parental and child subsystem, or a maladaptive reaction to changing demands. Therefore, the interventions in this model focus on reinforcing parental subsystem, highlighting the need to present a unified front and clearly differentiating it from the parent-child subsystem. We are going to talk about the past, present, and future of structural family therapy with two Innovators in the approach, Jay Lappin and Jorge Colopinto. These gentlemen work closely with Sal Mnuchin, and our episode today is reliving some great Mnuchin stories and talking about the legacy of one of our great models of family therapy. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest. Jay Lappin has taught, trained, supervised, and written about structural family therapy for over 40 years. As he'll tell us today, he studied and taught at the Philadelphia Child Guidance Clinic with Sal Mnuchin. For 15 years, he was a principal trainer and consultant for Delaware's Department of Services to Youth, Children, and Their Families. He served on the State Division of New Jersey's branch of the AMFT. He and his wife, Joyce, have been recognized by AFTA, and in 2020, he received the Outstanding Contribution to Marriage and Family Therapy from the AAMFT. He's written on structural family therapy from a cross-cultural perspective Focusing on larger system change, and some of you may also know him as a contributing editor from the Psychotherapy Networker, and a great interview he did with Mnuchin that you can see on psychotherapy.net. Joining Jay is Jorge Colopinto. For over 40 years, he has worked as a teacher, trainer, and consultant in family therapy. Much like Mnuchin, he was born in Argentina, where he obtained a psychology degree from the Universidad Nacional de Buenos Aires in 1967. He moved to the United States in 1976 and for the next 18 years collaborated with Mnuchin, first at the Philadelphia Child Guidance Center and later at the Family Studies Institute in New York. In 1984, he joined the faculty of another famous place, the Ackerman Institute for the Family, where he trained family therapist, and directed a 12-year-long foster care project. Jorge has written and lectured both nationally and internationally on structural family therapy, training, and supervision, and the application of family systems concepts to social services. 
including writing several practice manuals for social service providers. He is a member of the AMFT and also an AMFT-approved supervisor and LMFT in both New York and Pennsylvania. I really believe you all will enjoy a great history lesson and some great stories that personalize what structural family therapy is all about. With Noble, mental health professionals like you can help more people in less time, support a worthy cause, and earn passive income. Clients pay a monthly fee to gain access to automated between-session content, assessments to track their progress, and a messaging feature where they can chat with you directly. The best part? A portion of the proceeds earned through Noble are donated to organizations who are focused on directly impacting the mental health space and trauma-based issues. Join for free at noble.health and begin using our app when it launches in November. Okay, I am so overjoyed to be doing this show where we are remembering Sal Mnuchin and talking about the past and the present and the future of structural family therapy, one of our most endearing and classic models in systemic family therapy. No two better people to do that with than Jorge and Jay. I'm so happy to have you guys here. So if you ever listen to the show, the first question, we're going to be talking a lot about Sal and your memories with him. But first, how did you get interested in family therapy as a profession? In my case, I I think in my case, it's an interesting example of how context uh, influences individuals because I became interested in family therapy after I joined the Philadelphia Child Guidance Clinic because I didn't come to Philadelphia Child Guidance Clinic because of Minuchin, I didn't know Minuchin at the time. Uh, I came because Haley was working there. So I had been training in, as a psychologist in Argentina and the orientation there was very hard psychoanalysis. I wasn't that satisfied with that uh, model, so I was constantly exploring different possibilities. And one of the things that uh, made an impact on me was uh, Haley's writing, which was known in Argentina long before uh, Minucci's writing was known, particularly his book on Milton Erickson, the Uncommon Therapy book. I wanted to run with Haley, and I made a contact with him. He said, well, you have to come to where I am working now, which was Child Guidance. And then he said, by the way, the director is from Argentina. <laughs> and that was the first time that I heard about Minuchin. Uh, so I came, and of course, as soon as I started in, in child guidance, I saw Minuchin's, Minuchin's work, and that is when I decided I want to do something like that. We we're obviously in Philadelphia. What year are we in? Uh, this would be 1976. 1976, the golden age of family therapy. Yep. You're, you're from Argentina. Why are there so many great, legendary family therapists from Argentina? And we've had them, most of them on the show. There is Mnuchin, there is you, there is Celia Falikov, there is Chloe Madonis. Why is Argentina such a rich breeding ground for our pioneers of family therapy? Well, I will give you first the, the, the fun answer and then the, the more serious answer. There was a meeting once where there were a lot of, of us there. The, one of them was Alberto Serrano, which uh, another guy from Argentina. That at one point, he was the director of Child Clinic after Minuchin left. And this American colleague came to us. There was Carlos Eslusky was also there, and Celia, and Chloe, and, and Minuchin, and myself. And he asked this question, why there are so many family therapists from Argentina? 
And I remember Serrano answering, we are not allowed to talk about that. Um, <laughs> it, was kind of, it was a kind of a, a mafia thing. But uh, the real reason is that the, even the training that I have, for instance, if it was, even if it was psychoanalytic, it was done by psychoanalysts that have a very strong uh, social uh, orientation. And when I took my course in psychopathology, for instance, it was a, the teacher was a psychoanalyst, David Lieberman, who had written a book recasting the whole psychoanalytic descriptions of personalities uh, in terms of the theory of communication. So there, there was already sort of a cultural background for people who were interested in therapy that sensitized us to, this, to these ideas. The other memory that I have is uh, our professor of introduction to psychology, uh, Jose Blecher, uh, who was a very admired psychoanalyst. Everybody wanted to be like him. And this was in 1962. He was teaching introduction to psychology, and everybody wanted to learn about psychoanalysis. He devoted the first quarter of the semester to cybernetics. You know, the, the turtles that could respond to feedback from the from the walls and turn around. So we were very anxious about what we wanted psychoanalysis. So we went to ask him, why are you doing this? Why are you teaching that? And he said it was 1962, uh, the, the beginning of the, the, the prelude to computers. And he said, if I were your age, this is what I would be studying now. So there was, there was this sort of environment that oriented our curiosity and our identity to, to interactions, uh, relationships, context. And uh, I think that that may be one of the explanations of why there are uh, many Argentinians in this in this field. No, I appreciate that. And I also appreciate, I mean, Uncommon Therapy, you mentioned the draw for you was at first Jay Haley, who obviously collaborated with Muchin and with Structural Strategic, the overlap, thinking of things like uh, hierarchy and things like that. But that Uncommon Therapy is a book that you could still pick up today that I have my students read. When you, If you want to learn about Milton Erickson and Jay Haley and the origins of strategic family therapy, that's what you read. So that was your initial draw in 1976. Jay, what about you? What got you into family therapy and then to Philadelphia Child Guidance? Well, it's funny because, uh, Jorge, I didn't know that you and I had Jay Haley in common as bringing us to Child Guidance. So my story is a weird one. I had been drafted after college, so I was one of the last draftees. And because I'd been a probation officer in college and had some mental health volunteer stuff, uh, the Army, in their wisdom, put me into what they called mental hygiene. So I was working out of Fort Gordon, Georgia. This was 72 and was incredibly lucky that, that Nixon decided during the fall of that year that no more draftees would go to Vietnam. So I just thought, oh my God, this is so good. And I felt so lucky and fortunate. So I go to Fort Gordon and I'm assigned to work in the stockade and the maximum security blocks doing therapy and evaluations. And I realized that uh, okay, this is the other end of probation. This is where they locked the people up that didn't stick with probation. And I have no idea what the heck I'm doing. So I go to the psychiatrist that supervised this. And I said, I, I don't know what to do here. I'm in, sitting in with these prisoners and I'm in the cell blocks, blah, blah, blah. What should I be saying to them? Is there a book I can read? 
So he said, oh, yeah, there's a book by uh, Jay Haley. It's called Strategies of Psychotherapy, which was Erickson's work from, I think, 1963, if memory serves me. So I send away for this thing. There was no Amazon in those days. It takes weeks for this thing to get back. And I start reading this, and I'm like, oh, my God. So now I'm in the cells, like, trying to do paradoxes with prisoners. Like, I know you want to leave, but you shouldn't leave, because if you wanted to leave, you couldn't leave. So going back and forth with this stuff, and I said, someday I want to meet Jay Haley. This is the most amazing thing I've ever read. So I get out of the service, I go to graduate school at the place that I studied at was called uh, in Eatontown, New Jersey. And the reason I picked to live there was two reasons that the agency had was called Children's Psychiatric Service, and they did family therapy, and it was close to the ocean, so I could surf. So it was like a twofer. <laughs> and, and there was a guy by the name of Jorge, you remember him, Gary Landy, who was a psychiatrist that would come and do trainings and show us films of Mnuchin. So we're watching these things, and then the Families and Family Therapy was published, I think, in 1974. Gary brought this box of these books, so again, it was this, like, people do this. This is remarkable. I can't believe how good this is, and Philadelphia isn't all that far away. Maybe I can go there for training. So I get a job at a newly developed thing that was happening at the time. They were stopping because it was so expensive to send kids off to these uh, residential treatment centers. So I worked at an alternative school, and Philadelphia was just across the river, and started taking classes with another classic guy from on the faculty, was Steve Greenstein. The I applied to do the intern program, or the extern program, and was interviewed by a woman named Marion Walters, who was part of the original crew. Marion, after all this experience, years in the Army, blah, 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 says, you're too young. Uh, come back next year. So I'm like, ah, oh, geez. And I go another year. I go to the Steve's classes. I come back and I have to then meet uh, what I thought was going to be Charlie Fishman, but it was actually Mnuchin. And this is the first time I'd seen him. Like It's like seeing a star or something for the first time. You're kind of, you know, mouth open. Like, this is the real guy. This is him. So this happens. I get hired eventually to work at the clinic, and I can't believe my good fortune. Like, I'm actually working at this place that I just saw videotapes and read about. So I was working as a therapist on Duke Stanton's heroin project with uh, heroin addicts and their families, and Jay Haley was one of the consultants. So I get I get to meet him, and I'm like, this is crazy. I feel like I'm in Hollywood or something of family therapy land. And I got to know Jay well enough that I wrote to him years later. And I said, Jay, this is such a strange thing that I read Jay Haley, your book on strategies of psychotherapy. I'm now working at the clinic and I would be honored if you would sign my book at some point. Yeah, so you guys were there in, again, the golden age of family therapy in the 70s when structural family therapy is taking flight. And this model is remembered for many things, including, you know, breaking the mold from working with white middle class to upper class families and really taking family therapy 
to the streets, working in urban neighborhoods, disadvantaged populations, training paraprofessionals to do the work. Uh, We're going to talk about Sal and our favorite stories about him in a second. But when you think of the most endearing parts of structural family therapy and what resonated with you the most when you think about this model, what is that for you? The thing with structural family therapy is that it's not just a bunch of techniques. It is a way of being as a therapist, actually. And the philosophy, the, the, the beliefs and values that underline the model are the things that I am more satisfied with. And there are a, a, a few basic beliefs and values of a structural family therapy that, for instance, the fact that the explanation is, is the model that is more radical most radical in terms of understanding behavior as a byproduct of context. Uh, the idea that individuals are organized by context and, and this taken to the real extreme implications that, for instance, what people, what people think, what people feel is uh, organized by their is determined by their relations with other people. As, the, as the, the opposite to what is the usual, has been the usual belief in traditional psychotherapy, which is that uh, the individual first has to change in order for that individual relationships to be better. That has been always the approach of, certainly, of individual uh, psychotherapy and some family therapists also, that they work very much on the, the inside of the individual, trying to make them better people to relate. The thing with the structural therapy, this is one of the first things that I, it was a shock for me coming from coming from psychoanalytic training was uh, watching Minuchin, for instance, working with a family where the child was described as being out of control and the mother couldn't couldn't control her in a situation where a more um, traditional approach would be to work on what was it what was it in the mother that was preventing her from being more effective with the daughter. Watching Minuchin setting up a situation where the mother would be successful and in the process of the mother being successful with her daughter, then he would feel better as a, as, as a mother, as a, as a competent person. So that point, the traditional way of, oh, this uh, woman has a low self-esteem, uh, maybe because she wasn't mother herself correctly, so we have to build her self-esteem so that she will be more consistent, whatever, whatever. Instead of starting from the inside to the outside, uh, I've seen Minuchin working from the outside to the inside. So, okay, let's first create an experience of success, and then the self-esteem of the mother will improve. Mm-hmm. Our colleague George Simon uh, was, I think he was the first one to describe both the process of explanation in structural family therapy and the mechanism of change in as being from the outside in, from the context to the individual, as opposed to from the individual to the, to the context. And the other idea that goes together with this one, because you cannot have one without the other, is uh, this idea of the individual, this conception of the individual, which again is different from traditional psychology, not as represented not as a, a slice of what would be a slice of an onion, no, with the concentric circles where you have the surface 
which is the observable behavior, and then you go into deeper and deeper levels of uh, causation until you get to the essence of the person, and then you say this person is obsessive or is phobic or is an addict. This idea that you have got to the essence of what that person is. Instead of that, what I saw, what I learned from, from Minuchin was to look at people more as if they were individuals, as if they were a pie with uh, different slices of the self, if you will. Minuchin discovered the multiple selves long before it became a part of, uh, of narrative approaches because if you have that idea then when you are looking and you are looking from the outside in you are looking at how this person is responding to context in a certain way and then the implication is if you succeed in changing the context it, meaning if you succeed in getting people to relate to each other differently then they will mobilize other parts of themselves that are not the ones that they are using uh, usually and that are uh, creating um, the, whatever trouble they are they are in. So it's, it's, it's that basic way of basic lenses that um, structural therapy uh, provides a different way of looking at things that to me is, is more more important than the specific techniques that have been developed by the model. But, you know, it's been said, once you think systemically, it's hard to think any other way. So looking at the world from the outside in and context being so important, I mean, family therapy finds its practitioners just because of that, that systemic orientation that unites us all. So that's what you took, Jorge. Uh, how about you, Jay, as far as what is the most meaningful parts of the model for you still after all these years? I agree with Jorge. Jorge and I taught together and... Uh, Jorge, you use the, um, the the onion versus the pizza, and when we would teach on uh, the clinic, that was our routine to go get pizza after the class. So it was a, a nutritional way to make the point. And to just piggyback on what Jorge said is that one of the things about onion versus pizza is that it's all onion. You know, if you peel back a layer, then there's more onion, then there's more onion. So it, it, it's absent of context. I think that one of the things that for me is is really, as you're saying, Jorge, the looking at context and looking and having a basic assumption that is one of the things that I think is a core of structural is the search for strengths that the assumption that it's there and that if you can't find it, then you have to f create a context in which you can see it. So the tape that Jorge is referring to uh, is exactly that. It's an enactment that challenged how both uh, the mother, the father, and, and the little girl saw each of their roles. And uh, one of the pieces of that tape, the uh, Taming Monsters tape, is you have this big burly man that's the dad sitting on the floor playing dolls with his daughter. It just kind of shifts the thing because the the, the title of the, is uh, Taming Monsters and the question was who was the monster and how? And Sal took that and changed it dramatically within a course of oh, an hour or so. To your point, Eli, about uh, once you're systemic, you it's very hard to go back uh, and see things from an individualistic point of view, absent of context. And it's one of the things that Pat Mnuchin talked about in an article that she wrote about how families are like Russian dolls that you, you start and they're all inside of one another that you can't see one without taking these other contexts, race, minorities, um, poverty, uh, social policy. I remember 
Sal, I did an interview with him for um, psychotherapy.net, and one of the things Sal said is that at first we thought we could change uh, the world one family at a time, and then he said we were wrong. And that's one of the things, Jorge, maybe you can say a bit more about it. like he would come in gangbusters and have this way that he would absolutely say this is how to see things. And then in time, he would change. That uh, always struck me as something that he had the ability to have a position about things, and then with the change of times or information or research, he would adapt. So, you know, the thing that we heard during the pandemic is pivot or perish. Sal had a way of doing that with a theory. So he, I think, where do you remember, he regretted in some ways making it about techniques that... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the book, the Family Therapy Techniques book, it's a, it's a book about techniques, but then in the, in the last paragraph of the book, he puts the techniques back in, in his place. He said, and he says something like, okay, this has been a book about techniques, now basically forget about this. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> it's a, it, but the other thing is that, you know, that, that uh, what you were saying, uh, Jay, reminded me of a, a couple of things, because the thing with Sal's changes is that whenever he changed, the change was because he moved to take into consideration an even larger context. No, so that is that no, in the in the big in the big sense this is what happened when he left the clinic went moved back to New York and and, and took on the foster care system you know that's a, a much larger context than the than the family but even in that in that vignette of the the, the case with the the little girl that was described as a monster by the parents and, and your, your comment about the father playing on the on the floor with a girl. Uh, I remember what happened in, in that, in that it was the, first, the first thing that he did in that session was sort of challenge the notion that the mother could not organize the girl's play. And he, you know, that is a, a, a master example of how in, in 10 minutes he sort of first revealed the whole structure of patterns in the, in the family and challenged it and, and got the mother to have an experience of success. And then after that, a, f- a few minutes after that, he set up this play thing where he asked the, first the mother, then the father, to sit to play with the with the girl, and and the play was with puppets, and the girl said took the mother puppet for herself and gave the mother the baby puppet, and they were playing for a while with those roles, and then when the father when the father joined. They continue playing with the girl being the, the mother. And then at one point, uh, Minuchin said, okay, now let's let's change. And, and he changed the, the puppets. And he gave the mother puppet to the mother and the child puppet, the baby puppet, to the daughter. So when he was showing this tape in the clinic, we were all marveled at the genius of how he had worked on the roles thing and how, how he had established hierarchy by changing the, the thing. And he said, no, that was not why I did it. The reason why I did it is because uh, we had spent the first part of the session establishing control, uh, getting the mother to be able to control the girl. And I did not want this family to have a memory of this session as being an exercise on how to control a little girl. I wanted them to have more the memory of a pleasurable interaction. And I, for that, I needed 
which is one of the principles of enactment, actually, I needed that transaction to last longer. And they were running out of ideas for their play, so I thought that changing the roles would be a good use to continue the play, which I wanted to, to occupy a large, part of the, a large part of the session. And he was looking at this family, not just from the, from the small point of view of how to control a little girl, but more from the health of the family as a whole. And the idea is that a family with a five-year-old and a two-year-old, which were the ages of the two girls, uh, should, be, should be enjoying the girls more than just making sure that they don't misbehave. Uh, that, that is a larger, a larger context of, uh, of thinking. The other association that I have is that um, when you mention our teaching together, and, it has, and this has to do with the idea of, uh, of challenge, the, the, the therapist in a structural family therapy challenging the family, but in order to, challenge, to be able to challenge the family, to challenge the, the family's beliefs and the family's ways of interaction, the therapist needs to be accepted for the family, to be accepted for the family in that situation, so that this is this complex almost paradoxical uh, business of uh, joining and challenging at the same time, which you know I decided lately that I would call it supportive challenge. But I, what I remember is that when we were teaching together, one of the questions that Jay would ask, that you would ask Jay in the beginning was to the, to the audience was how many of you feel that you are good at joining? And then most people would raise their hands and then Jay would say, and how many of you are good at challenging? And very few people would answer with their hands. And then Jay would say, well, if you're not good at challenging, you're not good at joining. Well, I, I always think you, you have to have an alliance. And Mnuchin, obviously, joining and through things like mimesis and meeting each family member where they were at, it was, it was such a skill. But yeah, until you have that alliance, it's very hard to have credibility and challenge. So they, they go hand in hand though, but you got to join the system to change the system, so to speak. Structural family therapy is a series of techniques, uh, joining, accommodation, enactment, unbalancing versus, and some, you know, I still show these classic tapes that you've mentioned to current flocks of MFT trainees. And they say, well, there's only one Mnuchin. I could never do that. So the balance between techniques and self of the therapist, I'm curious what you think of that because there is only one Mnuchin. And number two, the parts of the model, as you said, it he you know he was a very polarizing figure. There were people that loved him, and there were also people that were were not fond of him. And at the time in our field, instead of uniting us under one banner as relational healers, as systemic thinkers, it was very much a battle of the brands between MFT, uh, experiential differentiating themselves from structural. Jay and Sal had a lot of commonalities, but very differences among MFT models instead of focusing on similarities, which is, you know, what I kind of build this show on and, and build my career on looking at these common factors between MFT models. So I'm curious what you think about self of therapist and doing this work and Mnuchin's own self of therapist versus techniques. And I'm curious um, what you think about how Sal dealt with critiques and maybe the parts of the model that have not aged as well. I think that, that he was interested in itself uh, the, of the therapist and that started to show itself i think jorge was at like 76 or so that harry uh, aponte wrote about the person of the therapist the pot that really the therapist is an instrument of change and it was 
and Jorge, I, I trust your explanation of this better than mine, that the psychoanalytic model was one, the classic, you know, the patient's on the couch, they don't even see the, the therapist behind, the analyst behind them, there's very little discussion. So the analyst is in some ways uh, maintaining a clinical atmosphere in which it's all the, ther- the patient's free associations. There wasn't a lot of room there for the therapist to be themselves or use themselves in ways that would be differential and context-based upon the family, what was the family bringing, and how they would get the family to go to these stronger prospects. So when that became more of a presence, it was really like how how do we use ourselves? What aspect of ourselves do we bring forward? And the joining question, the challenging question, really was that uh, those things do go together. And I think that, yes, you're right, uh, Eli, that during the late 70s, early 80s, as the feminist element and way of thinking was coming to it, Sal got a lot of heat. And it was, I think, Jorge, do you think that was because of the challenging aspect of it, that it looked and felt like it was kind of the man one up? I think that this whole thing about the divisions in, in, in family therapy again are context dependent they are not be- it's not because of Sars personality or or other people's uh, the personality but i want to because it, it relates to this i want to make a comment on that joining challenging kind of thing it, it is usually understood and taught as a sequence you know you first have to join before you can challenge that is not the way i saw sal doing that he joins he joins in a challenging way, and he challenges in a joining way. And the best description that I have, and I think he made that description, is this idea of probing. He starts meeting the family with a mild, with a mild challenge. A mild challenge to their definition. Basically, it's a challenge to their definition of the problem. If his challenge is accepted, then he pushes further. His challenge is rejected then he pulls back. One of the main differences between the structural model as developed by Sal and others is that it is a model where the therapist works in proximity with the family. There is not a lot of pre-strategic decisions in the, in the kind that a strategic therapist can, can do. It's a real encounter. It's, and as a real encounter, it includes love, it may include anger, it may include uh, disgust, uh, etc. That, 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 for instance, he will get into a consultation with a child who basically is, is not coming to to their treatment, and that is the reason for the consultation. And then he starts with the waking up. And one of his first answers is, do you have an alarm clock, or, or is your mother an alarm No, that is a challenge to the family already. And in that in that specific case, the family went along with that. They said, yeah, mom is an alarm clock. If they had rejected that, then Sal would have retreated. And got. So the joining needs to include an element of challenge. It's not that you first join and then you, you, you challenge. You have to be accepted by the family, but you have to be accepted as a person who can't say things that they don't totally like. With the other question about the, the split in the field and, and how people got upset, at, some people got upset at Sal, I think that if you look at the, the evolution, the cycles of uh, what I call the, the fads in, in family therapy. I think that the question of what is still what is still 
valley in structural pharmacotherapy and what didn't age so well. Uh, I think that the question itself is based on the idea that family therapy, that the field is like other disciplines following a, a line of progress and that there are some things that are cl no, classic and, or, or old um, or primitive, <laughs> or, uh, whatever you want to define the models. And then there is this more modern development because now we are wiser and we know better and uh, etc. I don't think that it works like that. I think that that works like that for disciplines like biology and medicine where yes, they are, there is an, uh, an accumulation of knowledge uh, that you know, we know more now than we know less. But when you come to the field of dealing with human relations, it's not a line. Again, it depends very much on the context where the different uh, models are, are developing. Because we are talking about existential issues, we are talking about uh, philosophy of life, we are talking about what we believe in, what decides how people relate to each other, how should people relate to each other. Now, these are all ethical dimensions that the different, the different models have. If you look at what happened with the structural therapy, first of all, it started in an area in, when Minuchin was working in Wilwick, in the school for delinquent children. It started with a population that traditional psychotherapy had either was not interested in or had thrown their arms up, you know, so there was this sort of bubble that, that allowed Minuchin to begin to develop his ideas without much, much competition. Then he got to Philadelphia Chagana's clinic, and then and there he had a class with the psychiatric establishment. But again, it was a time, late 60s and the 70s, where the society as a, as a whole was moving in the direction of uh, com community work. There were lots of federal funds. That project that uh, Minuchin, Angeli, and Montalvo started in Philadelphia, training young people from the community without a degree to be nat natural therapists. All of that was possible because of the political, social, economic context of the era. But this was, in a sense, in terms of dominant culture, it, it, it was sort of an aberration because it was not online with a more a traditional, uh, persistent, individualistic tone that the society has. You were asking why there are so many family therapists in, from Argentina. Well, the culture is not as individualistic there as, as it, is, it has been here. So one of the divisions was this idea of really putting so much stock as structural family therapy does on the family and also the, the criticism to the, to the larger uh, social context. Uh, at, at this point in the, in the history of, of family therapy and uh, the field in general, I would say that structural family therapy is not economically a good, a good approach. It's not a financially rewarding kind of, of approach to do structural therapy. Where I see the future, we're talking about the present and the future, where I see the future of structural therapy is more in situations where, in environments where family work is needed, like, you know, the whole field of child welfare, because it is in, in that kind of, kind of a scenario where the structural emphasis on context as determinant of problems and of solutions can be uh, better applied. Yeah, that's so well said. And, you know, you can't think of these newer 
third wave, empirically supported family therapies like FFT, functional family therapy, multi-dimensional family therapy, MDFT, brief strategic family therapy. We've had Jose Sapoznik on the show before. Without a tip of the hat to these classic structural theory and principles. But you said so much there, Jorge. And, you know, I think of an enduring legacy of a structural model is it took macro issues, these contextual issues, societal issues, and, and applied it to the micro system, the family. And I think that is still why it is enduring and maybe not economical, but certainly there's things that when, anytime you've been in a room with a family and you think of hierarchy and you, you think of, you know, we haven't talked about enmeshment or, or boundaries today. Uh, you can't think of thinking of families without looking at it through this lens. So I am curious, you all knew the man behind the model and he was part therapist, part entertainer. I mean, that's another thing missing in our field today. No one makes, for various reasons, nobody makes live demonstrations with families or videos like those classic tapes. And he was certainly so skilled and so unique. When you think of the man, I'll give you the opportunity here in our last segment to talk uh, of your memories of the man and any great Mnuchin stories you want to share. When I was going to, to for the extern program for the interview, Charlie Fishman was supposed to interview me. Mnuchin's secretary at the time, a woman by the name of Marge Arnold, comes out and says, uh, Dr. Fishman's not here today, so Dr. Mnuchin will be interviewing you. So I am now freaking out because I'm going to meet this man that I've only seen on tape, video, read his materials, and I just was beyond myself. So I had vowed after I got out of the service that since I had to cut my hair all the time for two years, I was not going to cut it for, I don't know, another two to four years. So I have a, a ponytail that was my hair is curly, so it was like Sideshow Bob from, from from The Simpsons. And I meet him, and he's just amazing. I, I couldn't even talk most of the time while he's asking me questions. So lo and behold, for reasons unbeknownst to me, I get hired to work at the clinic. So this is relatively new into my working there. For some reason, he and I got on a, down an A-level, or a, uh, we get on the elevator. So it was four floors up to the third floor. And press the elevator button. And remember the thing, the scene from, like, who was it? Uh, I want to go back in time, uh, the a bit on Saturday Night Live, where it's, like, really awkward. He's on this elevator. Uh, Kept Nolan was on the elevator with Michael J. Fox, and he's saying this. he's crazy thing. So I'm there and I, I can't think of anything to say other than what floor does he want. So it's quiet. And then Sal turns over to me and looks at me and just says, in jive talk, says, how's it going, man? And like, I went into a trance. I didn't know what to say. Should I be like, you know, giving him a high five? I didn't know when I should be doing so. I'm just like kind of staring at, okay, good, uh, fine. And then, how are you? And he just kind of nods, good, good. And I just remember getting off the elevator and just like kind of standing there. It was this moment of absolute incredibility that he was talking that way. And he had adapted, like Jorge, you're saying, like he would adapt to the families. And you would see these different aspects and you go, he doesn't talk like that, but then he does. So he had this incredible uh, capacity to read things in a way 
that was both uh, inspiring but uh, also overwhelming at times because he could see inside of you in a way and also that it was contingent upon pattern and context and really I remember uh, the thing of him saying about how when they first started doing that training in the 60s that he said that we started from the position of saying that the families were wrong and then he said and then we realized that we were wrong so he and Jay and Balio were really working from a, a more inductive model than deductive and they were building this model with people from the community and Jorge you and I were really really lucky to be able to have worked with some of those folks and there was one guy by a man by the name of Paul Riley and he Paul had originally been a pool hustler and used to wear a beret and went by the name of Frenchie and he could just run racks on the table so he and I worked together on a heroin project with Duke Stanton there was a time where he wasn't didn't we have these monthly things where you would bring a consult to Sal and, and you would present it to the staff and then Sal would watch from behind a mirror and then he'd eventually either sit in or he'd sit in from the start and then we'd come up and discuss it. So I forget who was the therapist, might have been Brenda Klein, but Sal sits in and it was a single parent, African-American mother and her, and her kid and this lady just ripped Sal. And it was, and all of us, I remember sitting upstairs and going, ooh, <laughs> yeah, this finally we see the master uh, getting his due here. We're like, yes, but we couldn't, you know, be happy about it publicly. So Sal comes up, and again, this was something that always stayed with me. And he said to the group, I failed. And he said, Paul Riley, can you come up here and tell me what I did wrong and can you help me with this case? So Paul, who was one of the trainees from that original training project, comes up and said, well, you know, I think it would be best if I just talked to the mother myself. And so Paul goes on a home visit, convinces the mother to come back. Sal sits in this, that second session with the family and crushes it. So he and Paul are talking about this later. And Sal said to Paul, Paul, what did you, what did you do? How did you get this woman to agree to come back? And Paul said, well... I did a home visit. He said, I went to the house, sat with her, we talked, had some coffee, and went back and forth, and I did my best to understand what was going on with her. And he said, and then when I was leaving, uh, just as I was, like, my hand on the doorknob, I said, hey, I've been, uh, came to visit you at your house. How about you come and visit me at my house and come back to the clinic? And the mother agreed. And Sal I remember him just standing there with this smile on his face and admiring how well Paul had done this. And he just had this uh, remarkable capacity to, as Jorge, you were saying, is just looking at the context and reading things and nudging and then reading the feedback. And it's hard to do. Uh, my colleague and friend, Bruce Buchanan, and I had this weird intervention that was based upon that called FTO. BTC, which was an acronym for feel the back of the chair, because uh, we'd be supervising and you'd see the therapist kind of leaning in and trying to convince the family of something, and then inevitably it would go sideways, and we'd buzz in and say, just feel the back of the chair. And that physical connection allowed people to have just enough distance to see the patterns a little bit more and uh, take a different 
posture and, and, and strategy with the family. One of my favorite stories, I think Sal was doing this big gig. So there was hundreds of people in the audience and he's talking and somebody asked him about being married. And I happened to be sitting next to, to Pat, his wife. So the uh, person in the audience said, well, do you ever have uh, differences with your wife? And how do you do that? And, and he, Sal said, oh, yes. He said, I divorced my wife a hundred times and I've married her a hundred and one. And I look over at Pat and I, and I just kind of gave, yeah. And she goes, yeah. And she just kind of smiled and nodded her head. So he, he was funnier than people think. That was my connection with him, that he and I could be silly together in a way that was just special. And I towered over him. I'm close to six, I guess I'm six four now. And Sal was much shorter. So part of the game was he would grab me by the arm and squish me down so that he was taller than me. I don't think I have any pictures of the two of us together when I'm taller than him. So it was just this kind of running joke and to be able to be funny. And I think that that's something that we missed a lot of the times because he had such a serious uh, task in front of him and and took it seriously. Well, I think that's one of the ways he, his use of self, and he was funny. Uh, he could join with families. He didn't take himself too seriously, and he was so quick-witted. Some of my students, when they watch these classic videos and live demonstrations for the first time, say, well, he must have practiced those phrases or those sayings, and I mean, you guys were around him enough. I think part of his way of being was just being spontaneous and being quick-witted. You guys have been so gracious. We just have a few minutes left. You uh, have given us your time. I know you both have future engagements. So we just have a couple minutes left. I want you to get in uh, one last story, Jorge. Uh, yeah. Anything you want to share? The one story that has stuck with me was the very first time that I saw Minuchin, and that was presenting in San Francisco to uh, an audience of uh, mostly psychologists with a humanistic orientation that were not very friendly to his approach. He was showing he worked with a with an anorectic girl and her family. The thing that impressed me was how he how he teaches, how he makes an impression on people, even on people who initially are not interested in what he has to say or opposed to what he has to say. He was showing you know, all of the moves in, in, in anorexia which are pretty intense in terms of the challenge to the family, the challenge to the client, the challenge to the system in general. And people in the audience were asking, well, all of this is very spectacular, but what about the outcome? And this was a two-day workshop, so he said, well, I will talk about this outcome tomorrow. And then tomorrow came, and he moved to a different case, and then he interviewed the family life, and he never went back to the issue of, of outcome. So around 3, 3.30, it was, still, it was still about half hour to go, and he said, well, no, I don't have anything else to do. And he had gone through questions, etc. So I think I'm, I'm going to take a walk in the marina. But he left a tape of a session with the same family uh, one year later. Now they were back, and now the issue was the more to do with the, with the father. And then he left, and the video started to roll. The first thing in the video was a close-up of the face of this patient, former patient, that was now a, a beautiful, healthy, very healthy looking girl who was teaching her parent, her father, 
how to have a healthy diet. And then this came up on the screen and there was this collective oh of the audience that had been asking for outcome. And what really impressed me was that he did not stay to watch it. He did not stay to, to see how the people would, would react. But certainly he staged it in a way that it would create a big impression. This one situation where he purposefully deprived himself of the pleasure of watching how the people would react to what the outcome in this case had been is, is, is something that has stayed with me for, uh, well, this was, this was in the beginning of 76 that this happened. As a matter of fact, if we have time, I have another story from that same situation that has to do with his connection, his connection with the audience at the same time that he's, when he's teaching. The live session that he did, there was a moment when the, he was talking to the girl about how she had become specialized in observing her parents, which is a, is a frequent theme in Sal's consultations. You are a parent watcher. There was a girl that talked very softly. It was very hard to hear her. It was a live session. And Sal mimicked her soft. So they were both talking in a very in a very soft voice, so everybody in the audience, including myself, were leaning forward, trying to listen every single word that this girl and Minuchin were saying. And then Minuchin said to the girl, you have become a parent watcher. And he went lower and lower, and then we kept leaning forward and forward, and he said, do you know what happened to children who become parent watchers? what happened later in life, and the girl said, what? And by now we were almost on the stage trying to listen, and, and she <laughs> said very softly, they become psychologists. And then we all sprang back in our chair. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to have any better story than that uh, to end it, gentlemen. He was would be 100 years old this year. He died four yeah. years ago at 97, and it's amazing, and you all have honored his legacy, and have had wonderful careers of your own. And even that story at the end just shows like the the power of family therapy. And you could watch a training tape like that from 50 years ago and it would stand the test of time. And that's what makes structural family therapy and Sal Mnuchin a true original. And I can't thank you enough for your time, gentlemen. There you have it. Eli back with you, bringing to a close another great installment of the AAMFT podcast. One of the things that we get the most feedback on are our pioneer interviews. And luckily, if they're still living, we have been able to interview over the last three years many luminaries in the field, including people like Sue Johnson, Dick Schwartz, Bill Doherty, Chloe Madonis, the late David Snarch. But sometimes if we can't capture the model developer and themselves, the great Sal Mnuchin, who just passed away a couple years ago, as we mentioned in the interview, we get you the direct descendants and the people that have not only pioneered, but kept innovating the application of structural family therapy. In this case, nobody has done it better than Jorge and Jay. Thank you so much for their time. We could have gone another hour sharing great stories of their time with Salvador Mnuchin. So again, those Pioneer Series, part of the AMFT podcast. Also, we bring you the latest and greatest trends impacting the practice of systemic family therapy. 
And as always, we rely on you, the listener, to give us ideas for that content. So you can get a hold of me, email Eli at NorthstarCounselingCenter.com. You can also find out more about me at www.elikaram, E-L-I-K-A-R-A-M.com. Follow us on Twitter. The AMFT is simply at the AMFT. And I'm at Dr. Eli Live. Until next time, my friends, stay safe, stay systemic, stay systemic, stay systemic, stay systemic.